Get your Bibles out. I want to really encourage you today. This is a kind of a transition message in this series. We've been talking about living an epic life, letting God write his story through us. And I want to pick up uh, from Ephesians 2.10, really on the last part of this verse, which we've not touched on yet. Uh, the verse, uh, by way of memory, you all should know it by now. We've been hitting on it about every week for the last three weeks. We're his workmanship, the Bible says. We're, that is, we're his masterpieces, we're his works of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has foreordained us to walk in. You know, in the last few weeks, we talked about how we were created by God for his glory. Amen. We were masterpieces made uniquely and shaped uniquely for God and his purposes. We've been called by God. How many of you in this room summoned uh, or, or answered the call of God on your life? When God called, you said, yes, Lord, here I am, right? You've been called by him. And we said that God doesn't create and God doesn't call unless it's for a specific purpose. And last Sunday, we highlighted the fact that God has done everything in his power to not only make you unique, but to super gift you with an amazing repertoire of gifts. How many of you have recognized that God has instilled certain passions in your heart that are unique to you? He's given you certain motivations. He's given you certain loves for things, hatreds for things. He's given you certain spiritual gifts that he's deposited in you. Some of you find that when you're serving, you come alive. Some of you, when you're leading or directing, you come alive. Some of you, when you give and you have a chance to sow, it makes you feel alive. Whatever that area that makes you feel alive is an indication of the way God's wired you and the way God's gifted you. And and, and we tried to, 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 to labor on this point. There's not a one of you in this place that that it, can uniquely express who God called you to be uh, apart. I, I mean, I just said that wrong. There's not a one of you in this room that's alike, even in gift mix, with anybody else in this room. Because of how God wired you and the gifts that he's given you, when I say that absolutely every single one of you is unique, I, I can't, it can't be more profound than that. Which means every one of us is needed in this place. Turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, God needs you here. Right? Just tell them that God needs you here. Um, why does God need you here? Because there's only one you. And you're special. With a capital special, all right? Not just a minor special, a big special. But let me give you a highlight, you know. The weekend's coming in America. We're in the season where it's football. And so imagine we're in the locker room, okay? You've all got the fanciest helmets. Ladies, bear with me here for a minute, all right? <laughs> Mouthpieces, you're growling. You got face paint on your eye. You got the helmet. You got the shoulder pads on. We just got done with worship. Worship's like when we go up to the guy next to us and go, yeah, we pound on his helmet, yeah. You know, pound on his shoulder pads and shake him. Yeah. Um, but imagine if we've been created by God, called by God, gifted by God. We got the most amazing coach. We got an amazing playbook. Here's all the plays. Hey guys, this is our playbook. Yeah. And then we never leave the locker room. That would be bad. But how I many, you know, I think in churches all over America, there's a whole lot of people that really like the lock. Yeah, let's go. And then, and then when it comes time to go out there and actually, as my dad used to say, hit somebody. <laughs> I never will forget, you know, my dad coached football for years and, and he, you know, you'd watch the play and the guys would go down on the kickoff and they'd come back to the sideline and my dad would grab somebody by, you know, you, you can relate to this. Can he grab him by the face mask? He'd say, you missed your block. And the guy would say, I didn't, coach, I didn't know who to hit. And my dad would say this, it's rang in my ears for years, just hit somebody. 
Somebody's wearing an, a wrong colored jersey. Just find somebody that's wearing a wrong colored jersey and hit them. And you know, that's not bad coaching for life. You know, just, we've been created, here's the, here's the message, you've been created for impact. And if we stay in the locker room, we will miss out on impact. Now, this comes with good news and bad news, all right? Because today we're going to talk about the word crisis, or we might, if we want to soften this message, we can talk about challenges. Um, but here is the message in a nutshell today. If there is no conflict in your life, there is no story worth talking about. I want you to think with me about every great movie that you have ever watched. I mean, the ones that you watch over and over and over again. Now, again, for all the guys in here, we could talk about Gladiator. We could talk about, you know, how about The Patriot? Anybody love The Patriot? <laughs> the Patriot makes my blood boil, all right? There's just something in me that goes off. But, I mean, you can even think of Bible stories, Bible characters, Bible people that we talk about. We would not be talking about any of them if it were not for the fact that there was some challenge, some conflict, that that hero, the, 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 the person that we watched in that movie, that, that hero had to overcome, they had to face and they had to conquer. How many of you know if we never had any conflict or challenge in our life, we would live the most boring lives. Nobody would have anything to talk about. Uh, conflict is what makes our story interesting. And we should have got a little bit of a sense that we were in for an exciting ride. When Jesus said to us these words, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. Um, we should have had an idea that this might have been a life of impact, a life of challenge. In fact, you know, this morning we were praying for Pastor Dick and Susie. I was reminded of the passage in the Bible where Paul said, there's an amazing window of opportunity open, for, open to me. But there's also with that amazing kingdom opportunity, there's also big adversaries. How many of you know where every good story also has a villain, a bad guy? And I think back to the movie The Patriot. Y'all remember the villain? That villain was a good villain. I mean, he was a good villain. A good villain is a villain that you hate. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You remember that scene where Mel Gibson is basically like every man in this room, especially the older we get. Hey, we've been in a few fights. We're like, look, you know, there's no sense fighting for a fighting sense. If you, you, you know, you get a little wisdom, you start to, to operate in, in that a little bit better than when you were young and zealous. And his sons are saying, Dad, we're going to sign up. We're going to fight, man, the war. Uh, we need to fight for, for America, you know, all that, all that deal. And Mel Gibson, you remember the story? He's like, no, we're just, I'm not going to do that. I need to be a dad. I need to keep my family together. And you remember the scene where the villain shows up on Mel Gibson's property and Mel Gibson's son uh, does something and the guy, the villain shoots him right in front of dad's eyes and he runs out there and he picks up his son and he's choking back the emotion. He's trying to encourage his boy and he watches his son die right in his arms. Everybody remember that scene? You know at that moment something's about ready to go down. You know what I'm talking about? Because every every bit of restraint that Gibson has to exercise in that scene, but he is holding his son who was just murdered in his arms. And how many of you know at that moment, 
his life is going to change because he is confronted with a crisis and it demands some type of response. And the crisis response in our lives is what makes our lives interesting and it's what makes our lives worth living and it's what makes our lives uh, exciting. Otherwise, here's what happens. And tell me if this is not the case. There's not a person in this room who by nature does not want to have everything in order everything predictable, everything comfortable, and here's what it looks like. You wake up, you go to work, you work all day, you come home, you have dinner, you watch TV, you go to sleep, and you do it over again and over again and over again, and you might throw something interesting in on the weekend, but usually it's of entertainment value because you're so bored with your normal life. Am I talking to the right crowd? And then what happens, though, is God has to, in a sense, push us along. If we're going to live this epic life, we're going to have to overcome some epic challenges. There has to be a superhuman challenge, a defining moment, something that pushes us, pushes the character along. You remember in The Patriot, Mel Gibson didn't want to fight. He didn't want to get into that war. But when the war came to him and when crisis came to him, that's what moved his character along into action. I'm just telling you, if we are in God's play, we're working out his redemptive history. How many of you know God is the most amazing storyteller? And God's wanting to tell a story through your life and through my life. He's wanting to tell a story through this church's life so that people in the community can say, let me tell you about that church. And what they share is hopefully situations we've encountered and and situations and challenges we've overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of Jesus Christ, by the resources of heaven. In other words, we're writing God's story through us collectively and through us individually. But every story has a villain, and J.I. Packer says this, Like it or not, each of us is personally at war with the devil. For the devil has personally declared war upon each of us. You know, you can sit here comfortably, you can come into the locker room, you can, you know, try to be the nice Christian, you can try to avoid conflict, but how many of you know, just like in the movie, when the war shows up on your doorstep, you realize there's an enemy who hates your guts, You can try to ignore and pretend like he doesn't exist all you want. But when your family's getting blown up, when your marriage is under under attack, when there's a, a financial crisis or a health crisis or a relational crisis, hello, you realize there's somebody out there who's real. He's not a fake villain. He's real, and he hates your guts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So this war, we get dragged into this war through the challenges and obstacles because the Lord's not trying to harm us. He's actually trying to grow us. He's actually trying to write something through us. He's actually trying to work his victory through our lives and through the things that are going on and happening in each of our lives every week. We are at war. Words like trial, temptation, refining, testing occur more than 200 times in the Bible. God is doing something here in our story that's important. You're going to be tested by major changes. You're going to be tested by delayed promises. You're going to be challenged by impossible problems, unanswered prayers, undeserved criticism, and even sometimes what seems to be senseless tragedy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But here's the good news. Behind every one of those situations is the purpose of God. And this is what is the anchor for us. Sometimes you're saying, why did this happen? Why am I being challenged here? Why do I have to deal with this situation. If you stop asking the why and start looking to what is God is doing through you at that moment, you'll understand that there's nothing that's happening that's not for a greater purpose. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. This is from the Message Bible. I love the way it says this. 
my troubles turned out all for the best. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Your troubles are going to turn out all for the best. Because here's why. They forced me. Everybody say forced me. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. How many of you know you'll never develop a love for God's word and a hunger for God's presence if you're never forced into that by conflict or crisis? I'm just saying, does anybody like me, when, when life is going rosy for you, are you really going hard after God in those moments? Most of us are kind of jogging after God in those moments, are we not? But as soon as a major crisis shows up, what happens to your prayer life? What happens to your, and how about this, not just your prayer life, but how about the intensity of your prayer life? I mean, you all know what I'm talking about. We can pray like God blesses food prayers, and then we can pray prayers where you get alone with God, and you're on your face, and you are taking a hold of the throne of God, and you are crying out with everything in you. Anybody know the difference of what I'm talking about? Or when you're facing this giant health crisis and you're like, what in the world do I do? That's when you're calling up the phone and saying, get the elders together and anoint me with oil and let's go after God. I need a miracle in my life. God allows these things to happen in our story. Again, because every great testimony needs a great test. Every great story, if you're going to read it, if we're going to talk about it, if you want your life to be an epic story, there will be epic challenges that you will overcome in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The bad news is God has to force us many times to learn from his textbook. So let me give you three things uh, today as by way of encouragement as it relates to challenges, all right? Three things I want you to gain or pull away from the challenges that you're facing. And let me just tell you, from being a pastor of a church the size of ours, with all of you sitting out here this morning, I know for a fact every single one of you could identify something in your life right now that represents a challenge or a crisis. Um, and I want to encourage you. I want to equip you. Why is this happening? What can you do about it? And where? how do you move forward as you go through these seasons? I want us as a church to be a church where we can sit back and say, hey, do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do you remember when we faced this? In your life, I want to be able to say, hey, remember when you went through that? Remember when you killed the lion and the bear? Well, guess what? Now you're standing in front of Goliath, and guess what? He's going to go down too. These are the kind of stories that are worth remembering. Let me remind you all that if you ever pick up a biography of a great person from whatever time of life that they lived, you will never pick up a biography of a person who did not have to go through much hardship and overcome many obstacles and challenges. You know why? Because if you read a book like that, it would absolutely bore you without the challenges. The reason there are, quote, great people in the world is because great people are great because they face great obstacles. And we face a great, a great challenge, a great obstacle, obviously not in our own strength. Our challenges are meant to point us to a great God. But he's wanting to bring something great out in us by way of sharing his glory. So let's take a look here at point number one quickly. Challenges reveal the content of your character. We need to understand that life is a test. And once you understand life is a test, there's not any part of your life, even the smallest incident, that does not matter. And the reason it matters is because God will use everything to shape you. How many of you have figured out sometimes it takes the most minute thing? It's not even a huge challenge. How about like a flat tire to reveal the yuckiness that's still in your heart, the impatience in your life? I mean, it isn't even like a big demon. It's just a little demon that just 
slip the air out of your tire. And you like come out, ah, crisis. God's like, how, if that's a crisis that's going to knock you off your feet, how in the world am I supposed to do great things through you? You're hearing me. Or how many of you have been like this? Man, you pray, God answers, you're like, sweet. And then you go away and life is good. And then God just allows that little curve to come back in. And as soon as his life's not good, man, you're like, God, where are you? Where are you when I need you? And God's just showing you, ah, it's still all about you, Ron, isn't it? It's still all about your comfort. I just exist. I'm like the fairy godmother. I exist to make your life happy. Is that really the kind of God I am to you? Is that really all I exist for? And you just go, ah, yuckiness coming out of my heart again. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 30. Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Can anybody say amen? A painful situation to make us change our ways. I go back to the movie The Patriot only because Mel Gibson was set. He was going to go home. He was going to be a good family man. He was going to raise his kids. But all of a sudden, it took a painful situation to launch him into a completely different reality. I'm telling you today, some of you, the pain that you're going through right now is not to harm you. It's to lead you into a greater breakthrough, a greater revelation of God, a greater story that God is writing through your life. I mean, we saw it this, this morning with Jerry and Terry, and I, I, I didn't plan on hearing that amazing testimony, but I'm glad that Jerry brought that up. That was phenomenal. That was perfect because what you heard from Terry's heart was this. Our family was a disaster. Our marriage was a disaster. We have two boys. They're going to be casualties. The pain that was in their marriage and in their home got to a boiling point to where a man went to a weekend to hang out with other men, and he didn't even know what was going to happen, and he had to invest money, all these things that guys don't want to do. Oh, i got to pay money. I have to be with other men. What's going to happen? Is it going to be weird? Uh, All these things that guys deal with. But listen, pain has a way of moving you out of your present reality. And would God allow the pain to increase in their marriage and in their family so that the guy, the leader of the home, would get somewhere where he needs to be so God can write the next chapter? You better believe God allows that kind of pain. God celebrates that kind of pain. It's not meaningless pain. It's pain that moves the character from one scene to the next scene so the movie doesn't stink. That movie was going to a train wreck ending. And everybody would leave with Kleenex and crying. It would have been a terrible ending. But this isn't a terrible ending, because isn't this amazing how God does it? Now they're helping other people get their marriages healed. Now they have kids who are walking with God and loving God and getting a different inheritance for their life. Now Jerry's at an encounter, leading the encounter. Terry's at the encounter, ministering at the encounter. Now they're serving you as elders at this church. None of that would have happened if God hadn't increased the pain level to move the hero of the story, the main character, into the next scene. God doesn't make boring movies. And if you're the lead character in the movie, he is going to move you along. And the way that he moves you along is through pain and challenge and crisis in your life. Now, praise God, he doesn't want us to live there, but he's going to shape us. He's going to allow the character in us to be developed and revealed through the stuff that we go through. 
I love what Rick Warren says. He says, God will use life's challenges to direct you, to inspect you, to correct you, to protect you, and to perfect you. How many of you know that's some good work going on by the Holy Spirit through the challenges that we face in life? So that's point number one. Characters don't want to change, but they have to be forced into changing, and God is going to move you from the boring, predictable. How many of you know, even, we see this all the time with women who are in abusive marriages. Instead of leaving an abusive marriage, they end up going back to the same familiar relationship in which they were harmed and abused. Here's why. Because it's familiar. We would rather be familiar in misery than step out and believe that God is launching us into a future that is so much better for us if we just would trust him. We've got to be delivered from the curse of familiarity in our relationships. We have to make sure that our profession of faith matches our expression of faith. Amen? And the only way that your character, the content of your character will be revealed is when you get squeezed in the scene. Point number two, these challenges that God ordains reveal the depth of our convictions. What are your convictions? Your convictions are really who you have become as a person. Whatever you believe, whatever are those immovable principles in your life that form the foundation of who you are is what made you in the person that you are right now. I'm glad to see all of you this morning because here's the deal. One conviction that I have, not because I'm a pastor, this was a conviction long before I was a pastor, but this is a family conviction for, for our family as well. We worship the Lord on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. We begin our week in worship. It's not a preference. It's a conviction. There are a number of other things in my life I could ask you. What are your convictions? What, what are the non-negotiables that shape your life? You know, when a challenge comes... Satan is after your convictions. Because if he can get you to be double-minded about what you thought you were convinced of, he'll destroy your life. Isn't it amazing? When the shaking comes, the only thing that doesn't get shaken are convictions. Everything else falls off the bow of the ship when the storm comes. But the convictions are like those, those masts in the center of that ship that provide strength and direction. I love this story about... Eleazar. This is found in 2 Samuel 23. I won't go there and read the whole passage, but I want to establish a principle. The Bible says there were only two men, Eleazar and King David, who were standing in a field facing the Philistine army. Two men facing an army. The rest of the Israelites took off running, the Bible says. But I love this. Isn't this what God's trying to shape in us as leaders? That it doesn't matter if everybody around you is going to stand with you. We become so strong in the Lord and the power of His might that if we know there's something worth fighting for, if we know that this is an area where you drive the stake in the ground, if we know that, you know what, I'm not moving off this position, whatever that position is, then you stand and you face the challenge and the conflict, and you say, God, if you don't show up, I'm in big trouble. David stood there with Eleazar. The Bible says they killed so many Philistine soldiers that their arms could hardly function. They were so weak. And what happened is once the, all the scaredy cats that ran away saw what was going on, they said, oh, we're going to go back. And by the time they showed up, all that they could do was clean up the spoils. You know, sometimes there's spoils for people who haven't figured out what they believe in yet. But God wants you to be one of those two men that are standing there fighting the enemy and saying, you know what? I'm not giving up this ground. 
Let me ask you in your marriage, men, some of you might be going through difficulties right now in your marriage. Four o'clock, great marriage class going on. There's ammunition, there's help. But here's my point. When the enemy's trying to rob you, silly, whether it's your wife, whether it's your kids, um, are you going to say, oh my gosh, I'm out of control? Or are you going to say, you know what? We're going to stand here. I'm not going to point out any names, but I was with a great couple, proud couple this week, dealing with some issues, said, you know, we need to get in, we need to talk to some spiritual leadership, we need to put a stake in the ground. They came back together, and they lived to fight a new day. That's what we do. We don't quit, we don't roll over, we don't give up ground, but you'll never find what you are willing to fight for unless it's challenged. Unless somebody tries to take it away... That's the only time you will determine what you want to fight for. I'm just telling you, every challenge in life uh, is that way. When we were going through a difficult time in this church, when we went through a, a, a painful split, when people were prophesying our demise, when people were talking about buying this property, I'll tell you what I was doing. I was walking on the field prophesying what God said about our inheritance, prophesying a new day, prophesying uh, rebirth, prophesying revival, prophesying growth, prophesying expansion, prophesying more than enough. And I didn't have none of that at the time. But if we're going to roll over and let the devil steal what is precious to us because we're having a bad day, are you kidding me? God's trying to make us heroic, like people you want to read about, not pathetic, heroic. And if you're not willing to fight for things that are valuable, if you're not willing to stand ground when it looks like there's no hope, If you're not willing to grab a hold of a promise of God and declare it over your situation over and over again within the hearing of your own words, you will never learn how to establish conviction in your life and and you'll have a nice vanilla boring story because you played it safe all your life. We're not called to play it safe. God's goal is not to bring you safely to your tomb. God's goal is to make your life full of testimonies of his goodness. See, I just want to tell you, this this expansion for me is more than bricks and mortar. This expansion represents a fight for the vision and destiny and soul and calling of this church family. That's why every time I see it, every time I see it, I feel like spitting in the devil's face. This is saying, you're a stinking loser. You will not have what is precious uh, to us here in this place. That's what we do. We fight. And I'll tell you, when we dedicate that facility on Easter to the glory of God, we will move into a whole new chapter of God's story for this place. It takes faith. And I want to I wanna cheer you on. It takes faith to step out and say, we're going to believe God for an extra $3.5 million. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to break ground. It takes faith to sign contracts uh, with that kind of resources. It takes faith to do all this stuff. But you know what? Faith is what moves the church forward. Faith is what moves God's story forward. If we never take risks, then why does anybody have anything to celebrate about God? Our God is boring and dead like everybody else's God. But if we have conviction and we believe the word of God and we move out in faith, God will meet us every single time. And God will give us stories that we'll be telling our grandkids and their kids about what he's done. That's the kind of God that he is.
feed yourself on the promises of God. Because every big dream is going to require really deep convictions. And we need to have deep convictions. Let me, let me end. Number three. Challenges reveal the strength of your commitment. Look at Romans chapter five, verses three and four. Can we rejoice? I'm sorry, not can we. We can rejoice when we run into problems. Why do we rejoice? Well, it tells us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops a strength of character in us. And what happens when we get a strength of character in us? It helps us to trust God more each time we use that faith and that character until finally our hope and our faith are strong and steady. This is the vision I want you guys to get with me. When you've run your race and you've got the gray hair to prove it, Will people be able to say about your life that you're strong and you're steady? We have young people in this room. When the storms come your way and they're going to come, when the challenges come your way and they're going to come, you'll be grateful that there are people in your church family that have been through a few fights, that have been through a few battles along the way, that have faced some obstacles, And I remember my father, I could always pick up the phone, no matter what I was going through, and here's what I would hear from somebody whose faith was steady and stable. You're going to come through this all right. You're going to make it. We're going to get through this. God's going to answer this. Hang in there. Don't quit. How many of you know those words from somebody who has the life character and conviction and commitment to back it up is like taking gold to the bank of your heart. Because when there are people in your life that speak those kinds of words and they're still standing, they've not tucked their tail and run. They've not quit along the journey. They're heroic people. They're people that in the life of your church family, you tell stories about them. Hey, do you remember when? Those are the people that are epic people. Those are the people whose stories are worth remembering. Those are the people whose funerals are worth attending because there's something about the quality of their lives that encourages and strengthens us. We feel bigger when we're around people like that. You all know what I'm talking about. When you're around somebody who's learned through the problems and pain and challenge of life how to carve out intimacy with Jesus and you sit in their presence, it it makes you want to pray more. It makes you want to love more. When you're around people that give generously, like radical generosity, and obey God to where it hurts, I am inspired to give more when I'm around people like that. When you're around people that are here to the end, closing doors, picking up trash, running vacuum cleaners, straightening up chairs, and they're the ones that are serving until the event is over, and you're around those people, it makes me want to serve more. I'm telling you, when you're around people that are carrying a presence or a glory of God that's more than you currently have, 
They literally draw you from where you're at into where God is trying to take you, and it's awesome. We need to be a church family like that. Every one of you in this room should have a vision in your heart to be somebody whose life, just by being around you, draws people into the next chapter of faith in their life. I remember when Pastor Dick and Susie came here and they started talking about China and how the, so many people on the underground church loving Jesus but with no Bibles. And you see these pictures of people weeping and kissing the Bible and hugging the Bible when they get their first Bible. They've never had a Bible before. And he said, we're going to smuggle some Bibles into China. Oh, I was like, yeah, I love being around radical people. Yeah. And then I packed my suitcase full of Bibles. Yeah. And then I got on it and went up to O'Hare and we put it on the counter, threw it through. Yeah. And then we got on the plane and then we started to land in communist China. And I realized that guy led me to do something which is illegal, according to communists. I have a suitcase full of Chinese Bibles. This is going to look really suspicious. I don't even know how to read Holy Bible in Chinese on the cover. This is going to look really suspicious. But you know what else happened? This was so cool. Pastor Susie had all the church family praying here at home at the exact time over there when we would be going through customs. And see, that's what I was saying. Did I have that little feeling of, oh my, what have I got myself into? You better believe it. When they said, put the seat backs up and the tray things up and get an upright position. I was in upright position with hands folded. <laughs> but here's the rest of the story. We walk through customs on a shift change. And evidently the Chinese folks weren't sticking around for whoever the person was who was going to take over their shift. Because they taught us how to walk and that looks suspicious, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Me? And we, we go walking through there and I'm trying to act like I don't know any of these other Americans that are around me. Because that's what we were trained to do. And when we walk through that, that area where they're supposed to be examining with, you know, x-rays, all the suitcases, all those thousands of Bibles we were bringing in, not a single person at their position. And here's what I did. I'm walking up there like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be cool. I don't even know how to be cool if I'm trained to be cool. <laughs> and I'm walking up there, and I start looking out of the corner of my eyes, and I realize there's nobody here. And then I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like... This is awesome. You know why I'm telling you that story? Because at some point in my life, I got a passport. At some point in my life, I went on a missions trip, changed my life. At some point in my life, I got out of my comfort zone. At some point in my life, I kept investing in my hunger for the nations. At some point in my life, I started hanging out with people that had more experience than I did. And I, I let their stories draw me into the next chapter of my life 
And now the next time we have a chance to take Bibles into China, I hope the whole stinking church is smuggling Bibles with us and we have to shut down services for that Sunday because we're all in China sneaking Bibles into people that are desperate for God. Come on. And I'm leading the trip. <laughs> I'll lead the trip. Although you got to do the te- teach us how to be cool when we go through customs part. I'm not good at that. But anyway, I want you to think of the great high water marks of your life with Jesus. And I'll guarantee you they came at a moment when God was asking something from you. When God was encouraging you to fight through something that seemed bigger than you. And some of you are in this situation right now. And I want to have our leadership team come up. Again, we, we're going to close. We're going to cut you loose, all right, to go your own way if you need to. But I, I just know this. There are people that God is writing an amazing story. And you've got to believe him. And, and you've got to see what's going on now from his perspective. And you might just need some prayer or encouragement. But we're just going to worship our way out of here. And if you don't know Christ today, come on down. We want to pray with you. If you need healing, if you're facing a challenge, whatever that challenge is, health challenge, relational challenge, maybe you just got a pink slip. Uh, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know this, God is the author and God is the finisher and God's got a great story that's coming out of whatever it is that you're being squeezed with. So Father, we invite you here to make heroes out of all of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory shining out. God, turn us into heroes of the story that you're writing. God, bring us into the next season. Give us breakthrough. Give us deliverance, Lord. We ask you in Jesus' name.